0: You're listening to the Crowdfunding Nerds podcast, a podcast that will help you succeed before, during, and after your crowdfunding event. And now, here is your host, Andrew Lowen.
1: Hey, everybody, and welcome to another awesome episode of Crowdfunding Nerds. I am your host, Andrew Lowen, and I am joined, as always, by my team, sexy Irish Sean and SEO wizard Rick. So today, this is a special intro that I'm recording outside of our normal podcasting. This is uh, part two of our interview with Ryan Wianco. We were talking about Fractured Veil and the video game that has is actually doing really well. Since we started recording, or since we recorded that podcast, it actually, uh, Fractured Veil funded, and it's a really awesome case study that you can look at right now for video games. It's generating some buzz online for simply funding at a, I believe it was a $100,000 funding goal, because video games have a pretty bad rap. If you're not familiar with video games on Kickstarter, they are much... there. It's a much larger market, just in general. Video games are a larger market than board games. However, on Kickstarter, video games are quite small. And there are some very high-profile video games that failed to deliver, or that are, you know, going through ma- major lawsuits. Star Citizen, for example, raised over $2 million on Kickstarter. Overall, they've raised like $180 million, and you know, just with venture capital and whatnot, but they have lawsuits going against them and that kind of thing. And, and things like that have caused people who back video games would normally back video games on Kickstarter to be very, I guess, hesitant. So to see a video game campaign fund at, to the tune of over a hundred thousand dollars is it makes it one of the largest video game campaigns on Kickstarter and, you know, in, in Kickstarter's history. And, It really, you know, from a first-time creator, no less, that has not, in theory, proven their ability to deliver, they are doing some things right because they're getting people to trust them. So I'd really recommend you guys take a close look at this Fractured Veil Kickstarter. I find it to be very, very fun. It's been a lot of fun to help with their marketing and that kind of thing, but it's something that I think just deserved a little bit more time. So we wanted to give you guys a part two of our interview with Ryan Wianco. and let's just get right into it. Here goes.
2: Yeah, well I think one of the advantages of the video game market compared to the board game market is that you have a larger demographic of people. So I think your cost per lead is gonna just be off the bat cheaper than it would be for the board game space. Mm. But I, mm. I do think the advantage of the board game space, it maybe attracts a, a more mature audience. You probably have a bit more buying power than you know, video game audiences. So it'd be interesting to see how this translates to, to backers. But one thing yeah. I'm, I'm interested, Ryan, is how does Steam come into play? What advantages and disadvantages does Steam particularly have, especially with marketing, have you found any sort of particular advantages that Steam gives you access to in, in, in terms of marketing?
3: So for us, honestly, as soon as that was the original plan, we were running everything through Steam lists, And I think at the end of the day, Steam followers are probably the most valuable thing because we can push notifications to our Steam group and get clicks but those notifications don't go to wishlisters. Those people only get notifications when the game launches. And so our original plan was to rely a lot more heavily on Steam. But as soon as I got connected with you guys and you really opened my eyes up to email and to Facebook groups, we just left steam by the wayside we pay no attention to steam anymore for the kickstarter we still update steam we post updates to it but we're not getting engagement on our, our steam forums we're not getting a lot of engagement on that side of things because I, I really just think people aren't getting the notifications or anything unless they're following that being said there are and, and sean we've talked about this there, there there might be unexplored avenues in the steam forums with steam curators and all of that stuff but with the results that we're seeing through email through facebook groups i mean it's like there's there's 24 hours in the day and the steam stuff has never given us any reason to really focus on it for now now once the game is on steam early access totally different ball game now we're going to be putting a ton of effort there because that's where we're going to get a lot of engagement but for the kickstarter Honestly, I, I haven't seen anything really worth I haven't seen the engagement from our audience that makes me think we should be investing more time there. If, if there was a lot of chatter going on, I would have a totally different tune. But it's just not happening.
2: I don't know how the Steam, you know, backend the algorithm comes with pushing content, but I I, I have a feeling that reviews probably have a huge, you know, factor in determining what gets pushed on the platform. The advantage right. of having a crowd that you can then bring to steam so that you have an advantage of these people leaving killer reviews for your game as soon as there's the still hoping so i, I think that's going to help you a lot oh, on that platform
3: that's a that's a really good point that's a really good point so the the things that we do monitor and i did put a lot of time in the beginning with steam was our our images, our capsule images, so they do have a decent analytics, definitely better than Kickstarter's analytics, which is non-existent, but they have a decent analytics backend, which will show you where your images are showing up and the click-through rates. And so we did the same thing that we did on Facebook and actually use Facebook as a testbed to test capsule images uh, via dynamic campaigns. The interesting thing is that it didn't always correlate to the same results. The best ones on Facebook weren't necessarily the best on Steam, but it did definitely push us in a different direction in terms of our imaging on Steam to go more towards the mutants, more towards something that's jumping out at you. And we did actually increase our click-through rate for Steam by probably 30 or 40% because we were using the data that we were getting from the Facebook ads for our email campaign to adjust our imagery on Steam. Um, and But then again, so the problem is, is that, sure, it's getting us clicks, it's getting us lists, but those people aren't doing us anything right now because they're not getting notifications. We have no access to their contact information. So they're, when we launch, they're gonna do great things for us, but because it's Kickstarter and then launch in a year, they do nothing for the Kickstarter campaign. So our goal is to reach them in other ways.
1: There's this statement that I give every so often that I have carefully considered. And I think that it, you know, just, Perfectly encapsulates the goal of a marketing campaign, especially for a Kickstarter project. But in light of what happens with Steam, where people kind of subscribe and then fall asleep, and then they'll come back when you launch and whatnot, maybe the whole goal with a marketing campaign is to win the right to communicate with a user across as many mediums as possible. That whole idea behind. You get them on your email list. Now you can talk to them and tell them that you have a Discord server and a Facebook group and, you know, Steam forums and other things like that. So that when, let's say, your Kickstarter launches, they're not you're not relying on a single notification. I see so many people, especially on Kickstarter, because it has this notify button. Or, you know, notify right. me on launch, right? It's like a pre-launch page that Kickstarter yep. provides. People send Facebook traffic to that. And it's such a mistake because you're relying on, you know, you're only getting a certain number of people. Let's say it costs you $2 per Kickstarter follower. Mm -hmm. You get one shot at really like two. If you consider there's like a 48 hour reminder before you're right. Right.
3: And and that, and that follow now page, you can't really tell anything about your game.
1: There's just no room. Yeah. You get like a headline, a sub headline and a picture.
2: The only right. ads that we do for that is retargeting. So after the uh, campaign, we have all this pixel data for everyone who visited the landing pages Then we get, we can retarget those people. So it might be a nice way to pick up some people who didn't sign up to the email, but then they might right. actually hit the notify button. So that's, yeah, that's yeah. true. But I
3: mean, to what you're saying, Andrew, this is another way that you guys really helped me dodge a bullet because my initial strategy was to just send all of the ad traffic to the Kickstarter coming soon page. Mm-hmm. And I didn't because of you guys. And I'm so, so freaking happy that <laughs> I didn't because not only is it a much better use of our resources, but we are getting a huge engaged. Community. Like, it's the thing about that, that coming soon, they click and then that's it. You don't hear mm-hmm. from them ever again. You don't engage with them. You can't get ideas from them. You can't get feedback. And so instead of that, we we, we built this amazing community of people that obviously are following us in a way because they're on the email list, but they're, in, they're engaged with us now and we get to turn them into rabid fans. And like you said, bring them over to Facebook, bring the discord. Yep.
1: So we're, what we're talking about right now is sending somebody to a landing page or whatever, like the Kickstarter page, let's just keep it limited there, that hits the notify me button and then falls asleep for three months or whatever it is until you finally right. launch your campaign. And then it's like, well, I don't know what this is. I don't even remember if I, this. I,
3: I didn't even know what it was when I clicked follow because there's one sentence that describes, <laughs> I know it's a board game. Cool. Yeah, exactly. I, like, I like board games. It's yep. got angels
1: in it. Cool. Right, right. And- you know, and then uh so th- this other situation that we had it was a-, a client a long time ago. We actually did a, su- a very successful Kickstarter for them. It was about 260000 or so that they raised. I actually became a backer because I'm a sucker for this type of game. But because <laughs> it's a negative thing, I don't want to say who it is. And uh so they acquired about 5,000 people on their email list with a Facebook ad strategies on their own. And okay. they made the mistake of not sending any correspondence to those people Oof. for fear of annoying them Oof. for three months. Oh, it man. only took three months. And when they sent their email that was like, hey, we... You know, we're launching on Kickstarter in a week.
3: <laughs> unsubscribe, unsubscribe rates of like 70%. <laughs> it was
1: yeah, it was the rate, the unsubscribe, and really what uh the metric is abuse reports. Right. So right. you have unsubscribe, but then other people can mark your email as spam or say I never signed up for this sure. list or whatever, right? And if enough of those people do that, it's really not very high. It's point, it's 0.4% of your list. That will get you in trouble. If you have like one percent of the list or higher, then Mailchimp is like prove that you didn't just buy this list off of someone and that these people actually want to receive your stuff. And until right. you do that, then you're banned from Mailchimp.
3: So, can you clarify? Is it zero point four percent of your list over the lifespan of your list, or is it if zero point four percent do email. it email? Okay. So, oh, okay.
1: Yeah. So let's say you have I don't know, like we'll keep it real simple. A hundred people and one. Of those, or I don't know, a thousand people. So that That's way good. we can say four, four. is zero point sure. four, right? So if four of those people say this is spam or I never signed up for this list, then MailChimp will say, Hey, this is pretty high. We want to make sure, you know, and what they'll do is they'll ask you to check a couple of boxes, like um, you know, it it, it happens, totally happens. And, you know, every once in a while, and MailChimp just wants to make sure that you know these people voluntarily signed up for your list that they know why you're sending them emails and and they opted in and so on and so forth so you check some boxes but if it goes higher like 0.8 you know if 8 out of those 1000 say that it's spam then mailchimp and I've had to do this in uh, actually not in the board game industry but in other cases in the past I've actually had to remove emails anyone who marked it as spam I had to remove their email from the list anyone who Didn't open the email I had to remove from the list, and we went from a list of like two thousand down to like two hundred in the end. There were a bunch of other things I had to do, but and that's just simply because they failed to engage the list. Yeah,
3: and so just to give your audience some perspective on this, our email list we topped twenty thousand yesterday. We've got about nineteen thousand active subscribers, eighteen six hundred or whatever, and the last on the. The fourteenth was the last time I sent just an email wide blast. We send, we send those the customer journeys and the virtuous cycle. We do that on a, a weekly or twice a week basis, and we had of the of the eleven thousand people for that one, and so we sent it to about seventeen thousand people. We had, uh, for the unsubs, we had 40 unsubs, three abuse on one. Uh, and then the, we do the resend campaign. So what happens is we send the the initial blast and then we just say, if, if they didn't open this first one, send them another one 48 hours later. Thanks, Sean. And we had about, so for the first one, we had 70 unsubscribes. The second one, we had 40 unsubscribes. The first one, we had three abuse And the second one, we had three abuse. So six abuse out of 17,000 are 0.04 or 0.4% is 80 abuses. So we are about 15 or well, 12, 12 and a half, 13, 13 times lower. So don't be scared by it. And also don't be scared that people are going to unsubscribe. One of the things that I was doing in my research is just like, how, how often can we email these people before they get annoyed? And it's a lot more than you think it is. It was like they were doing they were, they were doing studies on every day and just watching the unsubscribe rates. And it really is only until you hit a daily email that your unsubscribe rates start to really go up. And so we aim for two emails a week. One is a general informational email. And this, this obviously there's no such thing as a blanket rule, but one is our informational email. And through MailChimp's scheduling, we always make sure that those hit from Thursday on Thursday, Friday, or Saturday. And then we make sure MailChimp sends no emails whatsoever until at least Tuesday. And then Tuesdays and Wednesdays or Monday and Tuesdays that those days are reserved for the customer journeys. So those emails aren't on a fixed schedule. It's you didn't open this email, wait four days to send the next one. But if that four days is a Friday, you have to wait until the Monday to send it. And so we basically kind of bookend the week uh, with information engagement, information engagement, and you're looking at unsubscribe rates of whatever whatever seventy out of twenty thousand is. Yeah. In just order fractions to,
1: of percentages.
3: Right, and you're getting that kind of engagement. You're we're still getting open rates of thirty to thirty five percent. We're still getting click through rates of two to our list averages three point eight percent for a click through rate um, when we do the big blasts. So. Again, don't be don't be afraid to contact your people
1: because if you don't as Andrew's saying here, it's going to bite you in the butt. Yeah. And you know, it's it's a good thing that people unsubscribe from your email list because that means that you got people off your list that weren't interested in your stuff. <laughs> right. So you're more likely to talk to all of the hardcore fans. And I I think that a um the word no is an important word in sales. Um I don't like to say the word no if uh I have a client that is you know that wants something that i can't give them or whatever then i am always on board with an alternative or you know something that is like well how what can we do then right i like i like to always be positive but the customer will say no all the time you know Mm. and in sales every no you get it leads you closer to the to the yes And you wanna spend your time with those people that say yes, right? In the same way, when you're communicating via email and you're getting unsubscribes, the no's are a good thing.
0: Email marketing is a lot like those radio contests. It used to happen a lot in San Diego. I don't know if it's popular around the rest of the nation, but a while back, like in the early 2000s, late 90s, these radio shows would do these crazy competitions where it's like, okay, we're gonna have like 100 people touch a car. And the last person that touches the car uh, wins the car. And email marketing is a lot like that. So you're going to have a whole bunch of people who, you, who's touching your product, and wants to get involved. And over time, you know, you'll know, you start dropping and dropping. But the ones that keep staying get more and more invested into what you got. And it, they can be your, oh, I see. your biggest cheerleaders.
3: Yeah. 100, yeah the, the, uh, I remember that was one of those contests that got the station in a lot of trouble. It wasn't the last one to touch the car. It was the last one to go to the bathroom. I think yeah. they were like giving away a Nintendo Wii and the lady actually died because she held her, her bladder for so long and they had to keep on drinking water. So they got sued into oblivion, That's but crazy. yeah, it just, it just shows like how, when you weed out those other people, like people are in this case, willing to die for engagement in your in your contest, and your
1: competition. That's so gnarly. But for a survival game, that sounds like what should that be That sounds about right. Though. Yeah, for sure. First <laughs> of to go to the world to survive a night. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You need to add a card to your game stat pronto.
2: Ryan, you know, one thing that video games afford you compared to board games is the ability to really leverage stretch goals. So do you want to maybe talk a little bit about what you've been thinking about that in terms of going to Kickstarter and adding features into the game that players can get involved and really, I suppose, have their mark in Fracture yeah.
3: Well, I imagine this is certainly something where your board game audience is going to see a lot of overlap, but in terms of stretch goals, I mean, one of those things is when you meet a goal, and you've probably seen this countless times, you're just going to get a certain amount of your backers that are just going to disengage and be like, okay, job done, let's go. Um, and stretch goals is that tool to be like, okay, you, you got us here, but look at this crazy cool thing that we could get and it just gets that re-engagement back and I mean you can you can talk to the audience about how how valuable that is on board games but in video games it's so it's so valuable and it's so easy because there's no I don't need to manufacture anything extra I need to pay a 3d modeler and an animator and a design team but then we can just copy paste and stamp out a thousand or ten thousand of those brand new monsters to our heart's content, and so it's it scales those stretch goals scale like crazy, and you can you can keep them pretty am- pretty ambitious when it ter- when it comes to like the quantity of things that you want to give away. So in video games, I think that's where our, our advantage is, is that we're not looking at increasing our manufacturing costs or anything like that with these stretch goals, and then it's also a reason for them to kind of check back in and be like, and that's all of our graphics and everything like that that we're designing for a Kickstarter page. We don't just list the stretch goals. We don't just list like in progress, but we have progress bars that like slowly tick up as we're advancing. So we're going to be updating this multiple times a day so people can come back and they can check in and be like, how close are we? How close are we? And it, so it's all, all of this, I think with stretch goals, probably the same with board games. It's just a reason for people to re-engage, re-engage after you've met your, your goal and give them a reason to come back and be like, oh, maybe I should put an extra, an extra 25 bucks in because this stretch goal really resonates with me or this one doesn't, but I'm gonna come back after it's unlocked and the next one might resonate. And so it's a way for you to kind of throw a bunch of things at your audience that you're never gonna get all of them to resonate with all the people, but it's a way for you to look at your stretch goals and be like, okay, let's have combat-themed stretch goals, let's have building-themed stretch goals, let's have exploration-themed stretch goals, and you can start ticking off all of the checkboxes that really resonate with your audience to get them to engage again and again and again. The other thing I'll I'll add is, I don't know how much you guys talk about this, but we're also experimenting with community stretch goals and pre-Kickstarter stretch goals. So looking at unlocking things in the eventual campaign once community goals are reached. So let's say, let's get 500 retweets on this tweet and we're gonna add a stretch goal for, we're gonna add a stretch goal between these two ones that we had planned for an extra weapon skin or something like that. And it's just a great way to engage before the Kickstarter and during.
2: Reminds of that pit my ride, be, that yo dog, I know that I hear you like stretch goals. We've got stretch goals, so you stretch goals. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's awesome. Even even our stretch
3: goals have stretch goals.
1: Yeah. One of the most meaningful stretch goals that I did for the deliverance campaign was we did. uh, So I, I am a huge fan of the titles from world of Warcraft or other games like that, that you can get this title now or never, you know, you've got the opportunity to get this title during an event or an item or something like that. And so we ran, I ran this vanity title, on our discord server or this this contest for vanity titles on our discord server and i said if you can beat the game under certain difficulty levels you'll get various titles and the higher the difficulty level the better the title you get and you get this title forever on our discord server
2: Not so
1: no yeah so i need uh in the end it was like seven people that had beat or that were able to beat like the highest difficulty level 15 that could beat the next level down and then 30 that could beat like the next level down uh below oh well. Wow. And we had, like, 5,000 people play Deliverance
3: Come on. because of
1: that. So during the Kickstarter campaign, we had tons and tons of people play. And the whole idea behind the, the contest, I thought, you know, if I can get people to experience the game, then they'll want to back the game. Or even better, I think, you know, because I'm not just thinking about the Kickstarter itself and trying to raise money there. I'm trying to get people to actually open the box and like read the rule book several months early or, or whatever, a year early. So that when you, you know, you can shake some rust off and just open the box and play instead of, Oh, I have to read the rule book first. And that, that causes a lot of games to remain in the shrink wrap. So I thought if I can get people, you know, there it, you know, people are just going to really love it.
3: Right. Right. There's a common thread we'll notice about getting your audience just amped up more and more and more as you work your way there. And they all start off at the same level, pretty much. Well, some are going to be more excited than others, but all of these play into what we were talking about, which was to turn them into rabid, engaged fans by the time you launch or through the course of your campaign.
1: That is right. Rick, it, it looks like you have something to say.
0: <laughs> I, I do, I do. So Deliverance had tabletop simulator almost as like a carrot to, uh, to help also as another... Um, avenue to help entice people to play the game get engaged and and go and purchase on kickstarter now i i believe you guys have a uh, a live server and if so how do you uh use that uh with your your fans
3: yeah i i, I can there's no equivalent to to that in terms of in the video game space but we have the actual the actual actual game running and the benefit of us is for a lot of people they come to Kickstarter as a way of starting their journey of building their product. And for us, we've been on this journey for five years already. And so we have the actual product already built. Um, And I talk about this in my Kickstarter video of I didn't feel like we had the right to ask any survival gamer or MMO gamer for money until I could prove to them that we can build the thing, the core of the thing that we were promising, because there have been so many I think that's probably a big difference with video games and, and board games. Not that it doesn't happen in board games, but a lot of developers come in to make these video games, not realizing how much engineering hell they're bringing upon themselves. And so you have a ton of these video games that promise the world and never see the light of day. And I'd be interested in seeing those stats in terms of how many video game Kickstarters just never even get made, or they end up releasing something that doesn't look anything like the original. And so I've gone through that. I've been burned by that. And I know that our players have been burned by that. And so we spent five years building this game, and now we have the the core of the game. It runs on a server that's running 24-7. We have multiple servers. We have a live streaming drone that flies around the world, that streams to Twitch and YouTube and Steam 24-7, trying to find interesting things in the world. And we also bring players in. So we used to do a play test every Thursday with the core members of our community. We've given out uh, 750, 800 Steam keys at this point so that we could get people in to play the game. For us, it's more it was much more important to get them to help us test the game, to show us where the weak spots were. I don't know, maybe Andrew, you can talk about that. With people being able to play the game virtually ahead of time, was that also a way for you to get feedback from the players about things that needed to be changed.
1: It was. And I'll, I'll say one thing that a lot of people have the fear of if I give them the game too early, they will just be happy with that and then not actually play the real thing. And right. it's actually opposite in my experience, both with video games, any beta test I've ever been in, I bought mm-hmm. that game. Like I was, you know, I mean, if there was a midnight line in front of GameStop, I was in it. For a game that I beta tested, you know? I'm sending and... you a
3: key to our beta right now.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: yes, I will take it. So, <laughs> but yeah, it's one of those things that you build customer loyalty. You know, whatever a customer absorbs information about your product, they're gonna consequently think about your product. And so the more information you can get them to absorb, the more they'll be thinking about it. And I think that's one of the most one of the f- most fun things about board games and video games is actually thinking about them outside of the time that you're playing Mm. them. You know, you think about them, you're like, Oh, I can't wait till I get back in and I'm going to do this or that. You know, I, I remember I, so, um, before I started next level web, I worked as an EMT in an emergency room. Wow. And so I, I, I literally was, you know, I would pump people's hearts and be thinking about world of Warcraft. You know, like what I'm going to do. In oh, a while. come on. Like you that just
3: shows you the insidious insidious nature of that game. You are literally holding a man's heart in your hand. And even that's not enough to take your mind <laughs> yeah. off of your your grind that you're about to do when you get home. Like, It's crazy. It, it, that, I mean, you know, the dark Lord.
1: things that nurses and EMTs and that kind of thing. Think, oh, yeah uh, you need an escape you know the oh, dark places sure. you go you know yeah yeah. i definitely go to my dark place but <laughs> your dark yeah. place
3: just happens to be in azeroth <laughs> that's all
1: <laughs> yes yeah <laughs> you know but yeah it's 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 interesting you know they're just like when you're doing a thing you know you're mindlessly i don't know on a drive you know sometimes oh, yeah. you'll be thinking about your game and you'll be auto you're literally like tesla autopilot you know, in those cases.
3: As a game developer, I don't know how it was. So in video games, especially as a game developer, what I, I love is that we take it one step further and we're not only in the same way that you just described, but also when I'm out in the world, it as a game developer, it really makes me appreciate the world more in the moment as I'm looking at the leaf of a tree being like, oh, we should get the sun to go through our leaves and our trees like this. Or, oh, I, I see the way the grass is moving in the wind. We should get our grass to move like that. And you just start really appreciating kind of this fidelity that we live in and how we can bring that in. And then to to your other point, Rick, the other thing that we do is we use that live server to get streamers in and to play with them. So it's kind of like reviewers that you send your board game to, except for I get to sit down in this big world and we get to bring a streamer and then 3000 people with that streamer into the world with us and now we get to engage in their communities and we get to mix our community with their community and everybody gets to have fun together and we get to play the game get feedback and get even more people engaged so those are the two main ways that we can use the live product
1: yeah i'd, I'd say that's probably one of the most interesting variances between let's say marketing a board game versus video game is that board game streamers on twitch tv it's not really that exciting to watch a board game versus watching a video game dude. I mean, Twitch is dominated by video games. So, yeah. you know, and then of course just chatting.
3: Um, oh my goodness. <laughs> which oh I my find goodness. hilarious. But what is yeah, going on?
1: I, I know. I think that um the video game marketing avenue of using influencers is extremely effective on twitch tv whereas even the most influential board game influencers that you know like the dice tower or things like Mm -hmm. that there's only really so much of that that you need but i mean i could be wrong but i feel like with in in video games you know you get a guy like Gold or something like you kill wow (laughs) yeah 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 Yeah, so i mean
3: those those are (laughs) Those are like yeah, you get those guys by throwing them brown paper bags full of money at the end of the day. But what I love so much is our our greatest. My it, it's turning out that my best friends and the favorite people in my life are these content creators that I'm developing relationships with. And we get we get a well, a lot of the the smaller guys. And I, I don't want to use that like in a demeaning way, but just in terms of number accounts. And what happens is I can I can develop a much stronger relationship with them and. The, the scales are a little bit more evenly balanced. When you're going to like the guy that you mentioned, I can never provide that guy with the same value that he's going to provide me because my game is right. just going to be a billion dollar game tomorrow. But with these smaller guys um, that who I've been playing with, my first thing is to go to these people and say, how do I bring value to you first? And how do we create engaging content in our game? It's Our game is a blessing when it comes to that, because you can just do whatever you want, wherever you want. And there's like exploration, combat, building, all of these things. And so I sit down with them and I say, what is your audience most interested with? And how can we make sure that you're producing content that's going to be of value to you first? And then from there, we go, Well, from there, that's just where we go. Because I don't need to look at, OK, now, how do you give me value? Because by giving them value, we are going to get value as the stream becomes fun and in line with their audience. And yeah, it's 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 amazing. And so, and it's also like the icing on the cake because the the Facebook ads are doing their thing, and the email list is doing their thing, and now you get these amazing relationships with these streamers, just kind of like bumping it up even further. And in video games, we are so fortunate to have such a vibrant content creating community um, that I, I just feel really blessed.
2: When I think of video games, already have a, a long tail. We often talk about the board game industry designing a game that's just really solid. That will have a long tail and lots of sales after the fact. When I think of video games that achieve that, they usually have some type of element of esports. Is that something that you're mm-hmm. thinking about in, in terms of the veil, Veiled, do you plan on having some type of com- competitions in the future? Because I know gamers are competitive; they like to have leaderboards mm-hmm. and you know, compete against each other. Is that something that you're yeah. thinking about?
3: So there, I think there's two there's two kind of realities when it comes to the long tail. One is 100 percent the competitive nature. Like, I watch, I don't play, but I watch StarCraft almost religiously because it's different experiences. It's high competition. It's people just achieving a level of ability that is like superhuman. So I love watching that.
1: 400 APM.
3: Oh my God. 800, 1,000. Like, Like, (laughs) the days of Serol are like long past. We're in like 1200 APM with Zerg players right now. And so, so crazy. That's one. And then the other is games that have a very open-ended nature and give the content creators and the players creative freedom in which they can express themselves or express how they want to play the game. And so that's where you look at a game like Minecraft. Like Minecraft is still pulling huge numbers on Twitch. And this game is how old Rust is. Rust is pulling huge numbers. And that's where we don't, with a game like Fractured Bale, we don't necessarily have to look at an esports thing. But that being said, we do reach out to content creators and we're like, okay, the best way to get your community involved is let's do some in-game competitions for fun, not some ranking leaderboard, but let's do a base building competition or who can survive the night the longest or whatever else it is. And I think adding competition into it does bring that excitement level up a lot.
2: Yes, yeah, I think, you know, content creators are thinking of, of video games in terms of how can I monetize this? So can I turn this into an esports career or can I turn this into a basically a content creating cow like a milk to, you know, entertain my audience.
3: Right, right. I mean, the, I think pr- probably a lot with uh, the larger ones, it's it's a lot of that conversation. But honestly, the content creators that, that I'm working with, we're talking about people that have anywhere from 15 to 100,000 followers on Twitch. We do work with some larger ones. But with them, it's how do I engage my community with this product how do i stream something that's going to generate conversation and great engagement with my community because what i'm learning with these content creators is that is really what is their long tail is it's interesting content sure people come and they see stuff explode and they like that but they come back because they want to see that streamer explode and they want to see that streamer either be i've got i i've got a stream i'm doing on saturday and he is the most mellow chilled like zen buddha master on the planet and it's his audience loves that they want to come home after a hard day and just chill out with this guy in Minecraft and then I've got a guy uh like Rocky Nohans so I was on with Rocky Nohans he's a quadriplegic he plays with a quad stick and he is like his energy level is a little bit higher and he plays with his brother and his brother is just like screaming in the background the whole time in the funniest ways and you get people that want to watch him play for his particular reason and his particular style and so that's what that's what I'm learning a lot as well. Is it's all about the same with everything we do. It's all about community engagement.
2: Quake esports is my uh, my soft spot. It's the only esports I can actually stomach. I find a lot of esports really more boring to watch, but uh, Quake is the one that actually engages me. So.
1: Oof. yeah, yeah it's so frenetic. Watch, yeah, I tend to watch Warcraft three or League of Legends as mm-hmm. I, I or Starcraft two, one of those yeah. three. You know.
3: So like, uh, so Sean, who's your favorite Quake streamer? I hope you wrap up esports guy. Ratha, yeah. yeah. And Sean, how about how about you for Starcraft?
2: I don't I don't follow Starcraft. I was never really into RTS. I, I was into the uh Westwood games, so like Red Alert, Red Alert 2, oh. Tiberian Sun, but that's sort of where yeah, I yeah. ended my RTS legacy. And what
1: about what what about you, Andrew? Who's your favorite StarCraft streamer? Um, honestly, I really like watching Grubby when he streams Ooh. Starcraft. I like watching Grubby like no matter what game he's playing. Yeah. Uh, Heroes of the Storm is extremely boring, but sometimes I'll watch <laughs> because he's just yeah. a, a great
3: a great and, and what about you what about you Mr. man Rick what do you do you watch any streamers?
0: I'm not a twitch twitch fan. Um, it's not my thing. however, though, I am on YouTube all the time and this also uh, brings up the point of having multiple streams um interacting uh, with mm. your fans because sometimes you know one stream may be very popular for quite a few, but some others may not be on that stream. Um, so it's great when you have mm-hmm. social That's- media and streams that push out to Your audience, um, on different levels with um, from, from different platforms, um, so yeah, yes, which is not my thing, but YouTube, I'm I'm all for it. In fact, uh, I saw your game on Steam, and the first thing I did was I pulled up YouTube to see if there was any kind of like walkthrough videos and stuff. And I found one, and uh, I believe your new name is now Matt, right?
3: Yeah, totally, totally, yeah, <laughs> and, and that comes back to what Andrew was saying as well, which is. You want to be connecting with people on as many platforms as possible because I'm not on, I'm not watching videos on Facebook, but somebody else is. And that's, so what we do with streaming to some success or not, because I'm an amateur streamer and I mess up all the time. So we use a, an app called Restream for that. So right now I'm streaming to Twitch, Facebook, and YouTube. And yeah, when I, when I get on. Twitch will usually bring in the, the biggest crowd, but there'll be people that just come in organically because I'm on YouTube and be like, what's this game about? Our Facebook community lights up whenever I go to Facebook and start streaming there. So restream.io is what I use, uh, that I, I send the stream from OBS to them and then they just fork it out to all of these other platforms. You
2: look, yeah, so look at us, the stream tip. It's at- based off the OBS API, but it incorporates all the kind of, you know, Twitch alerts and things and the AIs. And oh, alerts. nice. They make it very streamlined, so it's very easy to set up. So that's a that's a cool. Yeah, so one of, the,
3: one, one of my streamers did tell me about Stream Elements. That's another add-on for OBS that is really big. Um, and then the other thing when we're talking about multiple platforms, another great tip that we picked up. So friends of ours run a studio called Norsefell and they just launched Tribes of Midgard on Steam to huge acclaim and our community manager had a chance to sit down with their community manager last week and she told us about this app called agora pulse and it allows you to monitor and this app is extremely useful when you're running facebook ads because i don't know about you well andrew i imagine it was the same with you like i'm going and Every time I'm on the, on the toilet, anytime I'm in bed, I'm just like hitting the notification button, going to every single comment and being like, yes, no, this is what we do. This is what we don't do. And Agora Pulse brings it all, every single ad you're running, every single tweet you're running, every single Facebook post that you're posting, all the comments come into one place yep. and you can assign them to community managers. You can reply to them there. You can have preset replies like five times a day. Is this coming to Xbox? And I'm just like, click reply. Preset reply about consoles. It has saved us countless hours. It is so valuable. So that's yeah. Ag- Agora Pulse.
1: That's super smart. I, I have a, a Word document that is like my frequently asked questions place. Right. And I just, I thankfully I had this huge Word doc and I'm using Backerkit right now for a pledge manager. And Backerkit has this customer service thing that they do where they'll answer mm. questions for you. So I gave them that basically... I, you know, pasted the Word doc into this, like, you know, give us a, you know, if if you think that there will be frequently asked questions, give them to us here, answers to us. Mm -hmm. And it saved me so much time over, I mean, just using them myself, like, you know, a huge answer for retailers, what's your pricing like? And, you know, it's like, all right, here's our pricing and our shipping and our terms and all the options here. And you get a free game if you buy so many, uh, a free demo copy, if you buy so many games, and it's just all there. You know? yeah that's great so, and
3: we're we're also partnering with backerkit as well so i will i will take that advice and get a, a, a doc prepared for them as well but they, they've been great yeah. and they haven't and we're using them because of you and they have absolutely nothing but amazing things to say about you too
1: oh that's fantastic oh, that's nice. yeah <laughs> well good stuff you know um we're actually uh becoming a like a a partner with backer kit as well from like an agency perspective. So we might be able to hook it up a little bit more here soon. I guess I have yeah. to sign a thing or two, but oh, yeah. I might be able to get yeah. you a little bit more off. Who knows?
3: Getting <laughs> getting into the, getting into the big time. Actually, I don't even think we used your discount. I think I just like emailed them and I was like, let's go. So yeah. I should, I should really uh, follow up and be like, Hey, what that, uh, what that discount there? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> But yeah, congrats! Like, uh, congrats that you, you've gotten to that level now, where you're starting to form these larger and more meaningful partnerships with with just great people that are providing great services, and hopefully they return the favor as well.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm looking forward to to that. And you know, uh, it, it's been a while. We probably have to circle in for a landing. But is there anything that you would like our audience to know that we hadn't covered yet? Um, oh any goodness. last minute advice or last. Last hour advice, um, <laughs> yeah. So
3: what I would what I would say is looking looking back at what we did, there was a couple. There was a there, I guess there's two questions: is when, like, what kind of lead time? When should you start your lead up to the campaign? And then what what I wish I would have done sooner. And so I think the in terms of the lead up, as soon as you have something that you can show people and get people talking about. You should start building your community. We've we've talked about this so many times already. It's all about community. Unless, unless you're a known brand, you're a known name, you've done this before. If you're coming into this fresh, you need to have a core group of people that are going to support you, that are going to give you advice, that are going to give you feedback on your product. And the sooner you can start building that, the better. So we started building our Discord community two and a half years ago and even then without a game that's launched we're only still sitting at about 3800 people in our discord server as opposed to like valheim is 2 billion people in its discord server but those people have been invaluable to us and as we've grown superstars in that community have risen to the top and we have made them moderators and today now that we're on the cusp of blowing up we, we we can't do this without those moderators. We can't do this without this core group of ultra-positive people that don't leave any room for negativity to creep in because with video games and survival games especially, toxic communities are just a known thing in this demographic. And we have this core group of people that if one person comes in with toxicity, they're so outnumbered by the amount of positive, loving people and people that are embracing new people and answering questions that they just kind of fizzle out and they go away. And then you have your, again, our moderators get these people that are at at the center of your fan base that are are believing in the product. And a lot of times it's just the right place and the right time for them to help you out because they add exponential uh, value to the community. It's hard to understate how valuable they are and how much we appreciate them. And then the other thing, honestly, it's the Facebook group you have these blind spots because you don't do certain things. We don't, I don't do Reddit. I mean, I don't do Twitter, so I just ignore Twitter. I definitely don't do Facebook groups. I just assume they're all just spam filled people posting weird memes from the middle East. Like, I don't know. Every time I like go into a Facebook group, it's just weird people in, I don't know, some weird country that I don't understand. And they're just posting just spam images over and over and over again. So I'm like, nobody uses Facebook groups. And About a month, month and a half ago, you guys had somebody on your podcast that ran what board game Facebook
1: group was it? Oh, yeah. uh, Tom Covert with Board Game Revolution Community.
3: Yeah. So you had him on and he started talking and you started talking about the importance and how to manage it and the kind of engagement that you get. And again, another example of the podcast opening my eyes. And so I was like, we need a Facebook group. And at the back of my mind, I'm like, okay, let's get it set up. But no one's going to join it. No one's going to use this group. Sure enough, we've got 1,200, 1,300 members in our Facebook group. Like three, four weeks later, um, our, our moderators just have these ideas to, for what they should post. They go ahead and we get 70 replies and engagements. We get like, so I wish I would have done the Facebook group sooner and grown it alongside our Discord community because they both just snowball. And the yep. sooner you can get that snowball rolling, the bigger it's going to be when you launch. I just thank you guys so much for having me on. This was really a dream come true. Obviously, huge congrats to you, Andrew, for the successful campaign. I followed that very closely and was so excited when you just crushed your goals. I mean, no surprise, obviously, when a genius of uh, Kickstarter marketing markets a Kickstarter campaign that it just destroys all expectations. But this is such a huge pleasure and just you know, from the bottom of my heart and everybody that listens to this podcast, thank you so much for giving so much to your audience and just not holding it close to your chest in some attempt to get more clients. Um, It's a crazy thing that you can just listen to this podcast and be successful. You can hire them and be 10 times more successful and focus on (laughs) all of the other important things that you should be focusing on instead of Facebook comments. But the content that you give for the people that might not be in a position um is amazing and thank you so much for giving that so freely to the world
1: it's honestly my pleasure and and on behalf of all of us really i think uh we just get so much value out of being able to give what is kind of just stuck in our head all the time Mm -hmm. um you know, like Sean lives in the middle of nowhere, undisclosed location that he would move if I told you where. Um, and so it, you, know. it, you can see his bunker behind. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm currently underground. Below. Below. Yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm in a submarine
3: right now. <laughs> yeah, it's the, it's the only way to keep the crypto mining rigs cool is in the ocean. Yeah. This is all green screen. Yeah,
1: yeah. yeah that's, that's awesome. But yeah, we we just appreciate being able to share and and you know. I, I, I find a lot of value being able to give back to the community. And uh, my, you know kind of in, in the back of my head, my philosophy is the only way to become truly indispensable is to make yourself dispensable by sharing the information that you have. And while that might cause some to say, well, I don't need to use you anymore, uh, many, many more people have volunteered their, themselves saying, I found your stuff great. I don't want to take the time to do it. And, you know, and that's, that's can make a, as you had mentioned, Ryan, I I can make an excellent relationship where we're both, we have a very symbiotic relationship where we're helping you get better at what you're doing. And then you're able to, of course, bring us along with you. And, you know, so it's, it's been a real pleasure just to see that kind of organically come up and, you know, yeah, and, and we're
3: so excited to like keep this going after the campaign. Like there's no reason to stop if we're looking at, positive ROI on ad spends because yep. wizard Sean over there is doing his thing then mm-hmm. why would we stop so yep this yep. is the stat of a I maybe mean, one of your friendship.
1: final stretch goals at like 20 million can be um we just buy next level web and they work for us now <laughs> Totally, yeah that that'll, that'll get people excited <laughs> yeah yeah all right well awesome awesome times and uh Rick you would you like to send us out
0: yes sir And that's all the time we have for this week's episode of Crowdfunding Nerds. A special shout out to Ryan Wienko, Project Director at Fractured Veil. And if you enjoyed this podcast and want to listen to some previous ones, visit us at crowdfundingnerds.com. And peace out.